Through a verdant tropical forest, the young hunter squinted into the sun. On the great blue sea, he took in a magnificent sight. Shimmering sails billowing off the tall masts of a fleet of enormous ships. As they sailed closer, he thought the men on board might well be gods. But he would find out they were anything but. Those gods, the conquistadors, would eviscerate the ancient people of the New World, pull down their temples, and destroy their homeland. In just a few years, they would virtually erase the life the hunter once knew, and the man who held them all in the palm of his hand was called Cortez. Welcome to another episode of Blind History. I'm Gareth Cliff and my co-host is Anthony Meterer. How are you, Ant? Very well and you, Gareth. Awesome. We're going a little further and a little wider than we usually do in the next episode or two. We're, we're, we're looking at people who might not be considered to, to be like the most important or significant rulers, um, which is you know largely what history focuses on, but they had wide-ranging effects on mythology and on history and obviously on the, the the decline and fall of in the case of the one guy the guy we're talking about today Hernan Cortez the decline and destruction of an entire empire correct and as you explained they were they were definitely legends but maybe not heroes yeah i mean the shadow of hernan cortez has loomed long and large over present day mexico you know within a few short years of landing in the country in 1519 he and his comrades would be responsible for the destruction of the entire Aztec empire and their culture. I mean, that's a horrible thing to think about. And, you know, he celebrated in Spain, but in Mexico, I suppose they've never really recovered. No, they haven't. And it was genocide in those times and in and during history. People don't necessarily look at it like that. But in this case, I think it was significant, over 200,000 people. The Aztecs, you know, have centuries and centuries of development and of what they've stood for and what they've brought to the world just wiped out. I've got a little sculpture on my wall in, in my downstairs veranda, which is the Aztec calendar. You know, that famous Aztec yes. calendar clock, which was supposed to have been, you know, a thousand year calendar. And that's, that's pretty much how I, I picture when I think of Aztec. And in, in this case, they were actually called the Mexica, M-E-X-I-C-A-H people. They lived on, on a number of islands in a lake, which is now gone in exactly the space which is occupied by the center of Mexico City now. But those people were, um, they were a very advanced and, and well-developed and complex civilization by the time he came along. There are contemporary pictures of Cortez, um, which portray him as a, a typical conquistador, you know, the neatly trimmed little beard and that steely gaze. But it seems that he had this uncontrollable ambition and a deadly determination. He was one of those people who just came along at the right time to to cause havoc. Yeah, and I think often, you know, like many of our legends that we've covered in history, I mean, charisma is what he had, and that's how he got all the people to go with him. And they just couldn't snuff him out. He just would not go away. Well, he was born in Spain in 1485. He was born to a family of noble blood, but they were poor. They were actually called Hidalgos. And these people were 
were quite common in Spain, but there were lots of nobility with little bits of money, you know, so they, they, they were of good stock, but they didn't have any cash. So maybe that's what explains his upbringing and his greed later on. Um, and was probably the driving force behind all that ambition that we're talking about. There was a, a relative, I think one of his uncles, that, that was a famous military man that was fighting Italy and was one of Spain's uh, top military strategists. So definitely that did run in his blood. So, I mean, what else do we know about his early life? Because he trained to be a lawyer and then he took to a ship and went off to the new world looking for money. Correct. But something that did plague him through his life was that he really loved the female sex. He really... He, oh, yeah. He, he was, well. he, yeah, and he was in trouble. It created a lot of trouble. And he had the restless nature about him and he wanted to go and see the new world. He made a decision to go and he got what money he had together. And his father had managed to get him on an expedition that was well set up and he would be well supported. And he actually literally missed the boat. And, <laughs> and <laughs> the reason why he missed the boat, he was upstairs in, in one of these villas, um, sleeping with a lady. And the husband came home and he had to jump out the window and he broke his arm. So, so he couldn't go on the voyage and he had to wait to repair a bit. But that just gave you an inclination of what was to come. Some of his key relationships fell apart because of this challenge that he did have. While we're talking about his relationships, there's this rumor that he murdered his wife. Um, we know that he also had an affair with an indigenous woman in Mexico who also became his translator. Um, and he had children with her. Yeah, and Martin was the son who became the first proper Mexican, as they call it. So it was a, a mixture of between the Europeans and then the, the natural population. There's a lot of complicated stuff that happened in the middle of his life, and it's probably not that interesting to most people, so we can skim through it. But he landed in Hispaniola, which is the island which is now half Haiti, half Dominican Republic. And he came under the wing of some quite important government officers there. You know, he was quite a dodgy guy. Like he did a lot of things in Cuba and Hispaniola that you'd probably consider to be not very ethical. He was trying to get ahead. You know, like so many people in the 1500s, he was just trying to get ahead. And he would uh, lie and deceive and steal and pretty much do whatever he needed to do to get to positions of authority and power. And most importantly, to get his own small army under his wing. But he was well liked. The general population of these settlements loved him. And also Velasquez, the governor of Cuba, it wasn't called Cuba at the time, it was his protege, and he really saw great things for him. And so he had this lavish lifestyle behind the scenes, and he spent a lot, but he couldn't do wrong until he had an affair or ultimately married Velasquez's, I believe, sister-in-law. But <laughs> apparently stood up at the altar. There was some story. So he wasn't allowed to go on this expedition. And he basically thwarted the guy. He, he was forbidden to go on this expedition. And he just ignored this governor of Cuba and went ahead and did it anyway. Exactly. And then from that point on, there was bad blood between them. Now, he went off with some cannon. He had some men on horseback. It wasn't a huge army. You know, he, he basically had a fair number of, of soldiers with him. Uh, enough to cause some trouble, but not not enough to conquer the whole, you know, Mexican Empire at that point, or or so we thought. There were so many stories of this incredible city that was the size of or what they knew as Constantinople or Naples in Europe, with these big palaces and gold everywhere. And so he was absolutely drawn to that, and every single cent he had 
he put into this expedition and it did put together a reasonably sized force, but he was actually a very good strategist. So he, a lot of the battles he had with the many tribes, he did with a smaller force. So who were these Mexica? Who was this empire and who was Moctezuma? So Moctezuma was the king, the emperor, the head of the Aztecs. And there were a lot of other tribes around the area that were allowed to run autonomously, but they had to pay homage of whatever sort it would be. Like, um, like vassal state. Exactly, like vassal states. And often what they had to pay in terms of taxes, and that was human sacrifice. I mean, each week, I believe, or could it also be daily, they would have human sacrifices. It was part of their beliefs. And that was one of the things that absolutely repelled the Spanish, you know, coming with the Catholicism um, and they couldn't believe what they're doing. But having said that, you know, they were shocked. But while they were scalping half the flippant Aztecs, so it was very ironic. Yeah, I mean, you know, there was this idea that because they believed they were superior, conversion of the indigenous population was a priority to them. And they, they hid a lot of their ugliness and their their genocidal uh I suppose, what would you call it? Genocidal impulses. They hid under the cloak of, oh, we're converting these people and bringing them into civilization. In in effect, both sides were as violent as each other. And it must have been a very bloody time. But these, these Aztec temples that they would sacrifice people on, they'd basically cut out their hearts while they were alive and then throw the body down the stairs. You know, it's really, it it's hectic. quite something. And these beautiful um, palaces, but they stank because of the the human sacrifice of it. But if we can just imagine this expedition then landing on the peninsula of modern-day Mexico and what made him so different, what made Cortes successful, and he was one of the greatest, I mean, literally next to Columbus in terms of finding the new world, etc. He he was really, really up there. And he wanted to be, he told everybody he was up there. I think that's, uh, there was a lot of insecurities there. But when he actually got to the peninsula, he met a gentleman by the name of Geronimo and he ended up being an interpreter for him, which was massive because it helped him then infiltrate into the smaller tribes and he found out that the smaller tribes actually hated being vassal states of the Aztecs. So that's what built up his small army into a significant army and then managed to be able to take on the Aztecs. But further to that, he also met a lady in the tribes, and she could speak all the languages. So Geronimo then became null and void, obsolete, yeah. yes. And and so uh, he was tossed aside, and then he took a real liking to her. And that was basically the setup that allowed him to actually go towards this massive golden city. Yeah, it was called Tenochtitlan. Um, I mean, I'm not sure if my pronunciation is right, but it was built, as as we said earlier, in the, in the middle of this beautiful lake. That whole lake is now no longer there. I mean, it's, you know, Mexico's, Mexico City is built on top of it. And all the, the would have been, what would have been the temples of that old city are now covered over with cathedrals. They're trying to excavate that area, by the way, and they found that whole libraries of codices were burned and not a single one of those original Aztec texts survives because what these conquistadors would do is they assumed their culture was superior in every way and there was nothing to be learned from the Aztecs. And unfortunately, in doing so, they just, it was a, it was a campaign of just burn everything and destroy everything that isn't Christian, um, which meant we, we lost a huge amount of knowledge about these people. And there are a couple of ruins that you can go and see right in the center of Mexico City, but it must have been beautiful at the time. I mean, you know, to get there, you needed boats. 
and it was in the in the middle of this big lake and the lake was brackish but one of the reasons that these people were so extraordinary to many westernizers they they would do what westerners at the time didn't do they used to bath twice a day i mean the emperor used to bath four times a day and they used to use beautiful mountain spring water and they really were an extraordinary civilization it's incredible that there was this the civilization that had come out in, you know, in the western part of the universe, I mean, Europe was the center of the world. And suddenly you got this incredible city and it had waterborne canals to assist with sewerage. They were extremely far advanced, but obviously naive. And there were ways that the Spanish could actually take them out. And the fact that they, they took them out so quickly showed they had no idea of how to fight against this new enemy. And putting the human sacrifice aside, they peacefully coexisted in this, this big city. Yeah, apart from chopping people apart and throwing their heads down the stairs and cutting out their hearts while they were still living, they were very, yeah. Very yeah, they, in general, they were peaceful. I mean, that, that shouldn't really, you know, tarnish their, their reputation at all. But we do, we do know that one of the ways that he conquered that city was to cut off their fresh water supply. Yes, and, that's true. and of course, you know, they didn't have steel. So it must have been much more easy to run your steel sword through someone than to fight them with a wooden club. They didn't have any means of fighting back with the same amount of force. So it didn't take too long for Cortes to completely destroy their empire. And of course, he was celebrated at home and he was forgiven for disregarding the orders of of Velasquez. And he was allowed to, um, to assume a coat of arms. He was given a noble title. And uh, the people of Spain thought he was a hero, and he still continues to be celebrated in Spain. In fact, there's a monument to him in the city of Medellin in Spain. But he did have a sort of a, not a love-hate relationship, but I think behind the scenes, people were working against him, like Velasquez, who never went away. And he would go to Charles V and just tell him, you know, how bad this guy was, and he was killing innocent people, and ask him why you destroyed a whole empire, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And where's the gold and all that. So he kept having to go back to, to Spain, to King Charles V and explain why he did it. And, and some of the letters that he wrote to Charles V about the city, I read these letters and it's incredible. You know, it takes you maybe 20 minutes to read one of the letters and he goes into such detail of what the Aztecs do every day, and, you know, how they, where they get their food from, all the massive markets they have. So he really did communicate well with Charles V. But ultimately, in the end, he died knowing that he was not respected by Charles or the greater Spanish people. And it was only after his death that they started realizing, you know. What he'd done. Know, yeah, what he'd done and how much he had achieved. And there was a saying that, that said that Charles no longer wanted to see him. He couldn't get an audience with the king anymore. And he pushed through a crowd and he finally got to the king and he said to the king, I've conquered more provinces and given you and Spain more provinces that you, than you've got cities. And, um, but you know, that might have been a fabrication. I just want to talk a little bit about Moctezuma, who was the, the emperor of the Aztecs. He, he uh, welcomed Cortes into the capital city. He said, come in, bring your men. We'll put you up in luxury. You can have food and wine and women. And um, you can have as much gold as you want because he, he realized that was all he was after is gold. And he said, you know, we don't have a lot of gold, but whatever there is, you can have. And of course, by doing that, by saying, here's all the gold we have, these conquistadors said to themselves, there must be more. So we'll have to kill some people and take some land. 
there's also uh, stories which is which they say is not actually true is that he thought Cortes was a god and Quetzalcoatl. Yes, correct, the, the sea god, and ultimately in the end it didn't uh, they didn't just fall off the moon these guys that they've been very successful and he he had a strategy you know to work out how to conquer these strange looking Europeans and he thought that the best way to do it was to embrace them up front but that did backfire for him because ultimately in the end he was taken hostage by Cortes for a long period of time I think it was over a year before they decided to fight back but when they fought back there was the story that they ousted Moctezuma and they replaced him with another emperor and they may may have killed him, or the Spanish might have killed him. So there has been a dispute or debate who actually killed Montezuma. Eventually, his story doesn't end particularly gloriously. You you rightly say he was ignored by the king, and you know he had to kind of fight for his place in history. But he died of what dysentery and pleurisy, which is not a great way to go. Um, so problems with the lungs and problems on the rear end, and. He did, to his credit, leave all of his children, all of them, the the Mexican children and the white children in Europe. He left lots of money to. They were well cared for in his will, all of their mothers. He requested that his will and his remains eventually be buried in Mexico, not in Spain, which I think is pretty interesting. And before he died, he had the Pope remove the natural status of his four children, in other words, legitimizing them in the eyes of the church, including the, the famous Martin that you mentioned earlier the son that he had with uh, Dona Maria. That was said to be his favorite of his children. I think they did acknowledge, I mean, next to Columbus, uh, they acknowledged, you know, the influence and what he did, uh, you know, in the new world. And we didn't mention it, but uh, once that formed a settlement and he was, he was had, had a, a royal title, I mean, he had to keep going. He had a very restless nature. And he went north, which is very interesting. He went north into the northern parts of Mexico. That's incredible that what, what he actually was prepared to do. A lot of his exhibitions just went flat on him and he, he wasn't very successful. He killed three quarters of his team climbing over mountains. And I mean, the death toll here is just crazy. You know, if we think about it today, in order to explore, in inverted commas, these places and in order to conquer for the Spanish throne and to spread Christianity, all of those things which he thought he was doing for good, in the number of bodies in his wake is just extraordinary. Yeah, and then also, like you said, to spread Christianity, but they also spread smallpox. I mean, that, yes. so that that was also um, bringing all that, that those diseases from Europe. But finally, when he went back to Europe and he'd been snubbed because one of his fellow countrymen was now famous for taking Peru, and so he was getting all the accolade. So he went after Barbarossa, which we spoke about in a previous blind yeah, history. The, the pirate. Correct, yes. And, and he went after him, and he got injured in that, and then not long after them, as you mentioned, he got the shits, <laughs> so to speak. He, he basically <laughs> died of dysentery, and, and uh, yeah, that was quite sad. Well, there is a, a lizard named after him, um, a kind of subspecies of Mexican lizard, which is called Cortez. Um, so he got that named after him. And of course, there are lots and lots of statues and representations all over. There have been movies made. There have been uh, theater productions put together. And Mexico is still dealing with the aftermath of what happened there. Correct. And that's a long time ago. It's amazing. It really is. He he was, if nothing else, a man who let nothing and no one get in his way. Blind History is brought to you by Taylor Blinds and Shutters. All the episodes are available on the cliffcentral.com website and app, as well as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, 
or wherever you get your podcasts. It's quite a, a saucy story, the story of his first wife. Her name was Catalina Suarez, and she was promised to him by old Diego Velasquez, who was he seems to have been pressuring him to marry her. And when he got to New Spain after his conquest, he was less than pleased about this arrangement. And he had to he had to deal with the fact that he'd become involved with this indigenous woman as well. Her name was Malinche. And after a banquet during which the husband and wife argued about Cortez's mistress, Catalina is said to have been found dead in her bedroom. Now, we don't know what killed her. There's still a huge amount of speculation today. It's very mysterious. Although she suffered from poor health and struggled with asthma, many believe that her death had a much more sinister cause and that maybe Cortez had poisoned her during the banquet. Um, he made sure to have her buried quickly and in relative secrecy, arousing even more suspicion. So that happened while all the other stuff was happening. 